Oh God, we could sing, we could shout. If what we're about to encounter is true, we can be set free. Bless these few moments we have. Energize us in our minds, engage us with our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Reynolds Price, the American author and poet, observed once, there is one sentence people turn to more than any other sentence when they, when, when, when they turn to a story, one sentence they crave in a story they read. Just one sentence. Here it is. The maker of all things loves and wants me. One sentence people crave when they pick up a book. Will this be true in this one? The maker of all things loves and wants me. Let's face it, we live in a world where this, this longing to be loved, this longing to be wanted is surely a universal desire, though not hardly a, un a universal experience. This last November, the uh, British young diva and singer phenom Adele, much anticipated, she releases her newest album, 25. On that album is a single called Hello. You didn't think I'd know, did you? That's why you're laughing. I'm kind of laughing too. <laughs> yeah, the singer uh, Adele with, with, with Hello. And that song, that one song tapped into this latent longing to be loved, to be wanted. And it, it just sold off the charts. Forbes magazine, a few days after the uh, album was released, announced that in the first week, listen to this, in the first week, she sold 1.71 million physical albums or, or CDs. Wow. People buying CDs still. In that same first week, listen, she sold 1.64 million downloaded copies, and then she broke all the record books when in one day she sold 1.49 million copies. That's 62,000 copies in an hour. That's about 1,000 copies a minute. She's selling them. Hello. I know you're dying for me to sing it. Forget it. <laughs> Maybe the choir. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so here, here, here's one of the sets of lyrics. Hello from the other side. I must have called a thousand times to tell you I'm sorry for everything that I've done, but when I call, you never seem to be home. We live in a world that longs to be loved and wanted. The maker of all things loves and wants me. Maybe, maybe Reynolds Price is absolutely right. What if we tapped into that for a moment? What if, what if in a string of stories we could come to grips with the mystery of this notion, the maker of all things loves and wants me? Open your Bible with me. Story number one. Open your Bible with me to John, the fourth gospel, John chapter 13. Let's go. Chapter 13, verse 1, you didn't bring a Bible. Oh, you got to track this. Pull the Pew Bible out. There you go. Page 725 in the Pew Bible. 
John chapter 13. I'm in the New International Version. Just one line. Here we go. John 13, 1, and it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them. He loved them to the end. Isn't that something? Hey, have you ever been loved to the end? You say, yo, do I, at the end of what? I'm talking about the end of life. Is there, has there been anybody on this planet who has loved you to the end of her life? To the end of his life. Most of us would think of mother. Many of us would think of father. Some of us would think of lover or friend or spouse. And some of us would say, nobody except Jesus. Let me read that again. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them. He loved them to the end. John Peckham in his marvelous book. I tell you what, if I could give this book to everybody here today, I'd do it. One of our seminary professors here at Andrews University, acclaimed John Peckham's book, The Love of God, A Canonical Model. In that book, a single line, put it on the screen for you. Peckham writing, profound love, speaking of this phrase we just read, profound love is connoted by the expression to the end, likely connoting both intensity and endurance, end quote. I want you to grab those two nouns that are embedded in profound love. Grab those two nouns right now and scribble, scribble them down on your uh, study guide. You got a study guide in your worship bulletin? Pull that uh, study guide out. And now our favorite ushers are coming your way. Two ladies today, hold your hand up if you need, uh, if you need, well, we have a gentleman in the balcony. If you need a study guide, just put your hand up. You don't want to miss this one. Pull it out. And uh, let me just take a moment while they're handing this out. Be patient, they'll get you in the back. I want to say to those of you watching online right now, those of you who are live streaming, you can get the same, same study guide. I'd love for you to have it. Title of this little series, put it on the screen for you. Title of the series, Charmed into Righteousness. By the way, this is next to the last piece. We end it all next week, just before spring break. All right? Charmed into Righteousness, today's teaching, the most loving God. You go to that on the website, click on study guide, you have it, and you're with us. I want you to get this John Peckham quote, two nouns embedded in profound love. Keep your hands up. They're coming. But let's go. Let's put it on the screen, please, again. Profound love, Peckham writing, profound love is connoted by the expression to the end, likely connoting both intensity. Okay, guys, what's intensity? What's intensity? When, when something is intense, it is what? Very strong. If I have an intense hunger, if I have an intense thirst, it's strong. It's just, it's just hanging on. Intensity, write that in. And, second word, endurance. Endurance. What's endurance? I'm holding on. I'm never going to let you go. Endurance to the very end. Profound love. Connoted by both intensity and endurance. But, but the quotation goes on. <clears throat> He's quoting Herman and Ritterboss. Renders this phrase, and I love this, love to the last breath and love in the highest intensity. Further, Christ's love is here described as for His own. It's a term of endearment. 
So when it talks about he loves them, he loves his own under the end, these are his, these are his friends. These are, these are the, those that his heart just longs to embrace. It's a term of endearment as found in uh, ancient Near, Near Eastern literature. So here's this stunning opening line. Less than 24 hours, and Jesus will be dead at Calvary. And it declares, leading us into the passion of the Christ, he loves his own to the very last breath. I want you to just brood on that for a moment. Come on, just, just, just let it, let it uh, ferment, foment in your mind. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about the incarnated God of the universe. Uh, John describes him, in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. By, by Him all things, animate and inanimate, have been created. This God, the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. This God... Love them to the last breath because we have a love story here and every love story takes you to the final breath, the last breath of that love. One of my favorite love stories, by the way. I've read this one again and again. It's a true story about a young man named Sheldon and a girl named Davy. One Christmas, they fell madly in love over in New Jersey. They both were hopeless romantics. They would read and write poetry to each other late into the night. You got the feel. Both are agnostics. They grew up in wealthy homes, but they're agnostics. Within a year, tie the knot, they're married. Then it's off to Oxford University where, where Sheldon wants to pursue his, his uh, degree in English literature. While there, they meet a professor, C.S. Lewis. You've heard of him. C.S. Lewis takes a shine to this rather attractive American couple, and they become friends. And through his friendship, listen to this, through his friendship, he leads them both to Christ. They go back to the States, Christians now, and Sheldon finds a little private college in Virginia where he's going to teach English literature. And I'm telling you what, the story is bright with wonder and love. They couldn't be happier. Life could not be grander until tragedy strikes. Davy contracts a mortal disease that cuts her life short. So I read this time and again, and I, I just go into tears every time. This is the death scene, all right? I'm going to read it to you. This is the death scene. This is the last breath, as Jesus loves, to the last breath. Oh, by the way, Sheldon Van Alken, this is a, a bestseller title of the book, A Severe Mercy. It's a first-person account of love and grief and healing, and he and Lewis remain friends through all of this tragedy. Anyway, here we are at the end. She's in the hospital. He's holding her hand. Then she stirred, I, I read. There was no change at all in her half-parted lips or eyes or the hand I held, but then her other hand and arm came slowly up from her side. I could not think of what she was doing. The hand moved slowly across her. It, it found my face. She touched my brow and hair, and then each eye in turn, and then my mouth. Her fingers moved to each corner of my mouth as we had always done, and I gave her fingers little corner-of-the-mouth kisses as we had always done. Then her arm fell slowly back, past seeing, 
And past speaking, with the last of her failing strength, she had said goodbye. In one of her earliest letters, when we were first in love, she had spoken of, quote, the gentle, awkward yearning I feel for you just to touch your face, end quote. And touching my face in the old way was her last act in this world. The last breath. How does it read? It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them. He loved them to the very last breath. Wow. It's a love story. It has its own death scene where the love ends and, as we know, in fact, really begins. I want to go to that death scene here in John. It's over in chapter 19. Find it. It's Friday afternoon, less than 24 hours after the upper room. Jesus hangs suspended between heaven and earth. John chapter 19. We'll pick it up in verse 28. Verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now finished, And so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When He had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. John is absolutely set and intent on making certain that we understand that the lover of this love story is in control to the very last breath. He's done three, he's inserted three actions the synoptics do not discuss. For John, Jesus is the only one to carry the cross. There is no Simon of Cyrene. Jesus carries the cross himself, he's in control. For John, Jesus chooses his last words. He's in control. And for John, Jesus chooses the moment of death. Not like Davy in that uh, death scene just a moment ago where her hand drops and that's it. I mean, if that were the case, then John would have had Jesus breathe his last and then his head would fall, collapse to his chest. But oh, no, no, John says it was the exact opposite. He put his head down. It is now time. He put his head down and ceased breathing. The lover in this story is in control to the very last breath. Why? Because we must know that the Maker of all things loves and wants us. That's why. He loves and wants us. I think of this picture that Rochelle, our graphics artist, and she does such a great job, but uh, this week, boy, she, she above and beyond. I think of the picture she put on the cover of our bulletin. Take all the copy off of it. I want you to see the picture now. It's just, I need you to just look at that picture. Don't look at me. Look at the screen. Look at that picture. Graphic. Detail. Artistic. The hands of a lover who to his very last breath loved the likes of you and me. Wow. Turns out that this sentence that Reynolds Price once observed is what people crave more than any other sentence in a, in a story. 
the maker of all things loves and wants me. Turns out this sentence is cryptically embedded in every story from the beginning to the end of this book. And I want to show you that. Watch this. Old Testament of all places. A lover in the Old Testament. You got it. Go back with me to the book of Jeremiah. Come on, let's go. Jeremiah chapter 31, okay? So just go back into the Old Testament. You'll hit Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31. Look at this. God is speaking. The pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jeremiah 31, verse 3. And the Lord appeared to us in the past. Notice, whatever he's going to say now, this has happened long ago. This message has been around from the beginning. And the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, here we go. Let's put it on the screen, please. I have loved. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I want you to grab your study guide. And I want you to just get this down because there are three different words that God, who inspired this book, makes sure get used. And you watch. You watch. They'll show up again. So these three words, jot it down in your study guide. Leave that screen up, please. Bless you. I have loved, and that's the Hebrew word, aheb. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, ahaba, with unfailing love, chesed. I have drawn you to myself. All right, God, three Hebrew words. What are you trying to tell us? What kind of love do you really have for us? He says, I'll show you. Three stories. Let's go back. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. We don't have time to turn there. We'll do it on the screen. Put it on the screen, please. Genesis chapter 22. You remember these words sometime later, middle of the night. God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham. Abraham wakes up. Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, Ahab, the very word we just read in Jeremiah 31, and go to the region of Moriah. What am I to do there, God? Sacrifice him. That's what I'm asking you to do. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. This tale of a father and a son who come to the moment of death together. The storyline of Abraham and Isaac, of course, embedded, it is, embedded in it is the shadowy story of another, fa- another father and another son who will make the same trip to that same Mount Moriah, now known as Calvary. Whew. How much do you love us, God? Just like that, like father and son, both of us are in this love for you. How deep is the love? Watch this. Turn a few pages over. You come to Genesis 29. Everybody knows this love story. Put it on the screen, please. This is Jacob. Jacob has run away from home. He's just done his brother bad, and he's run away. He's in the home of Laban, his uncle, and Laban has two girls, and oh boy, Jacob is smitten with the younger one. Jot it down. Jacob was in love. There's the same word again. Ahab. Jacob was in love with Rachel. And he said to, he said to her, Papa, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love. Ahaba. There they are, both words, because of his love for her. Get this. Keep writing. God seizes the language of two lovers and he declares, This is how much I love you with the passion of a lover. That's how much I love you. John Peckham again, his words on the screen, fill it in. Scripture consistently displays God's intensely passionate, passionate and profoundly emotional love for his people, end quote. Guess what? The maker of all things loves and wants me. 
Every story embedded. Oh, here's the the third story. The words will appear here as well. Oh, this is a love story. David and Jonathan were soulmates, kindred spirits like this. And then Jonathan is cut down with his maniac father leading the charge into battle. He and his father perish in that battle. When the word comes to young David who will be the next king, David sobs. But the words on the screen, please, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love, ahaba, your love for me was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. Get this, God seizes, jot it down, God seizes the language of two friends and declares, this is how much I love you with the deep love of a friend. By the way, here is a divine assurance to those who do not experience married love, an assurance that their experience of friendship love is just as genuinely depicting the love of God as does married love. You don't have to be married to know this love. You have a friend you know the love of God. You are mine. I've loved you with an everlasting love. The maker of all things loves and wants me. But the tragedy is not everybody wants to be loved by Him. That's the sad truth, even in the third millennium. Go back to, uh, well, you have it still open, Uh, Jeremiah 31. Drop down now to verse 20. How does God react when not everybody loves Him back? Ah, look at this, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, verse 20, God speaking, Is not Ephraim, my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him. Jot it down in your study guide. Fill in that word. There's a, there's a fourth word inserted here. You see it on the screen, is not Ephraim, my dear son, the child in whom I delight, though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns. I I yearn for him. I have great compassion. Rakam, write that in, compassion. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. By the way, one scholar declares rakam as the strongest word for love in all biblical language. You just hit the jackpot in rakam. And when you combine it with yearning, you have an explosive love. Watch this. Beckham, on the screen again, this language, watch this, this language depicts profoundly passable. Now, passable means means capable of feeling. Because you see, there in some circles, can you believe this? There's some circles who say God is impassable. He is as, he is as, he, he is as unmoved as a crystal. There's no variation in his emotion. He's not affected by human emotions. He is God and he's unchangeable. They have missed the wealth. Most of us believe, oh, no, God is passable. Keep reading. This this language depicts profoundly passable, capable of feeling, and intense emotionality evidenced by the Hebrew idiom, which literally refers to turbulent or roaring internal organs, and here depicts, jot it down, God's stomach being churned up with longing for His Son. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever cried so hard that you got sick to your stomach? Oh, you have. And if you haven't, you will. You can't get through this life without crying that hard. Your your stomach is just twisted in agony. That's God. Like a mother 
over her child, like a father over his runaway, like a spouse for a lover who has turned away for another. That stomach-twisting, churning agony. I'll jot this down. We have but a faint and dim concept of how deep, how deep is the love of God for us. I mean, it's like the storyline of David who with stomach-churning sobs weeps out the cry. Let me put this on the screen. You remember his, his boy Absalom? Oh, he loved Absalom. Absalom has rebelled against his daddy. He wants to kill him. He's already usurped the throne. But in battle, Absalom is killed. And when the news comes to David, here it goes right here, 2 Samuel 18, and the king was shaken. David went up to the room over the gateway, and he wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom, My son, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Do you think God is going to septically say, hey, listen, you can't win them all. Boy, I sure miss her. I sure miss him. Are you kidding? With with stomach churning agony, you say no to him. You have the right. You are perfectly free to say no to God because love can't be love unless you can say yes to it and no to it. You may say no to God, but when you say no to him, you will rip his guts out. Look at David. If it's true about a father, about the father of us all. Oh, here's another storyline. The same stomach-churning weeping. It's Jesus this time. Words on the screen. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen, like a mother gathers her her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. We have but a faint concept of how deep God's pain over unrequited love truly is. Hey, listen, guys, come on. Where do you think we get the pain of rejection, huh? You know how it feels when somebody says no to you? Where do you think we got that pain of unrequited, unreciprocated, unreturned? Where do we get that? We got it from Him. Our Creator, our Savior, our God, He's that way. It kills Him when one He loves says, No, no, I reject it. I reject you. How many times has He wept over Jerusalem? Has He wept over you? Has He wept over me? It's no wonder God can't sleep at night. Do you know how many people on earth, I'm talking about men, women, and children, do you know how many people on earth go to bed every single night not knowing the story of of this truth about God? They have no clue. They hope to find it in a book. The maker of all things loves and wants me. They have no clue. It's true. It's not fiction. It's not just a great storyline. It's a lifeline, but they won't grab the lifeline until somebody tells them the story. If only they could existentially discover the storyline of this book. Ah, i got to share this with you. Consider this sampling. This is only a sampling. I'm going to run them by, seven of them, seven of them. You're going to get writer's cramp, but keep writing. There will be one word you will write over and over again. Let's go. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and verse 16. God is what? God is love. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3, 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. 
1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John 3.16, let's read this one out loud together. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 and 38 and 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Number seven, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. Do you understand what we just read? Put that picture, please, back up on the screen. Look at this picture. This is the love story. He is the lover, and you are his longing. Wow. As a result, because of that picture, you know what you and I can be saying about ourselves? I am loved, and I am wanted. I say that on a week that ends the Andrews University campaign, I am not. You've been following the campaign this week? I am not. I'm not defined. I'm not defined by my habits. I'm not defined by my behavior. Then what are you defined by, sir? I'll tell you what you're defined by. You're defined by the God of the universe who says you are loved and you are wanted. I am. I am valuable. I am. Perhaps this world could could know the love of God if they could only read the story of the love of God all around them. Ernest Gordon found God in in a Japanese prisoner of war work camp in Thailand during World War II. He only barely survived. Found God in the camp, by the way. When he got out of the war, he's a Scotsman, when he got out of the war, This is just a side note. He ended up as dean of the chapel at Princeton University. He was the pastor of that university. He wrote a book much later, title of the book, Miracle. Got it right here. I want to read uh, a story from it. Miracle on the River Kwai. A story was going around while they were in camp, this this work camp, and boy, they they are all down to skin and bones. And so, so he picks it up here. One story that went the round soon after concerned another Argyle. Okay, so he's, a, he's an Argyle. That's what the, the Scots call themselves that. That's a, that's a Scottish warrior in the British Army. So they're, they're called Argyles, all right? So this went around about a, a Scottish soldier who was, who was in a work detail on the railway. Now listen, the day's work had ended. The tools were being counted as usual. As the party was about to be discussed, dismissed, rather, the, the Japanese guard shouted that a shovel was missing. He insisted that someone had stolen it to sell to the ties. Striding up and down before the men, he ranted and denounced them for their wickedness and most unforgivable of all, their ingratitude to the emperor. As he raved, he worked himself into a paranoid fury. Screaming in broken English, he demanded that the guilty one step forward to take his punishment. Nobody moved. The guard's rage reached new heights of violence. All die! All die! He shrieked. And to show that he meant what he said, he cocked his rifle, put it to his shoulder, and looked down the sights, ready to fire at the first man on the other end. At that moment, 
the, the Argyle stepped forward, stood stiffly to attention, and calmly said, I did, sir. The guard unleashed all his whipped-up hate. He kicked the helpless prisoner and beat him with his fist. Still, the Argyle stood rigidly to attention with the blood streaming down his face. His silence goaded the guard to an excess of rage. Seizing his rifle by the barrel, he lifted it high over his head and with a final howl brought it down on the skull of the Argyle, who sank limply to the ground and did not move. Although it was perfectly clear that he was dead, the guard continued to beat him and stopped only when exhausted. The men of the work detail picked up their comrade's body, shouldered their tools, and marched back to camp. When the tools were counted again at the guardhouse, no shovel was missing. Greater love hath no man than this, and to lay down his life for his friends. Makes you wonder how often that story is being played, played out all around us in this postmodern millennial society where if they only could know the storyline, they would find Him. The Maker of all things loves and wants me. Reminds me of this compelling sentence from the American writer Ellen White. I'll put it on the screen for you. It's from her classic Christ Object Lessons. The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of God's character of what? Of what? Go, 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 go ahead and call it out. Of what? Of love. The last word to go to this planet. This is the last word. So what should we do as a campus congregation? Come on. Situated right here. What shall we do to take this last message of God's love to a dying world? I want to read a letter to you from one of our viewers from Iran. You know the country of Iran, don't you? Listen to this. Dear Dr. Nelson, my name is, he writes his name, I'm a Muslim-born, non-religious man now. I'm 27 years old, about your age. I study, and he tells us the discipline he's studying. At this university, and he names it, in this city, and he names it, I've been listening to your podcast since last autumn. Almost last year, for the second time in my life, I experienced a terrible shock. It, it was somehow a romantic one, and I lost the girl I loved, the whole world longing for love. I lost her. Before that, I used to be a pious person, someone who prays five times a day, doesn't drink alcohol, not interested in sex out of marriage. But after that shock, I changed dramatically. Maybe it was the voice of the evil, or what, that I lost my beliefs. Not a Muslim anymore, not a pious anymore. I began drinking, smoking weed, and just taking care of the moments, a carefree life. I've been questioning the existence of God many times. My only answer was, He exists, and He created all. The maker of all things. It's the longing in every heart to believe there is that creator. What did he say? I, I, he exists and he created all. There are other questions that I don't have the answers, like my own life. If I die, nothing different will happen to the world. Nobody even hears. Hmm. You see, as an individual, my life is pointless. 
Since the time I've been listening to you, I'm not claiming that I became a true believer. On the other hand, I understand that sometimes we shouldn't live for our own sake, but for the others. I've been donating my blood as I listen to your sermons of addiction series. It is good to listen to you. I've got to say that some of the verses you read from the Bible are the same in the Quran. And there are those who are trying to stir up a controversy by saying, oh, no, the, the holy books do not agree in critical places. Here's a Muslim saying, I find it the very alike. I'm working on a Western novel. I may be published in quite a while. I teach English. I try to live not for myself to help others. Even that help would be listening to my friends or the people's complaints about life. Teach me more, Dr. Nelson. Preach me. I'm all ears. How many are in the world? How many in this postmodern millennial society are there who say, the maker of all things loves and wants me? I wish it were true. I really wish it were true. Wow. How many out there? How many in here? How many on this campus? What if we could produce a live event? What if we could produce a live experience, a program that could be accessed anywhere on earth if you had a smartphone, a laptop, or a tablet? That was a rhetorical question because I want Pastor Rodley to come on up here. Pastor Rodley and our whole leadership team have been, we've been in the thick of this for over a year now, months and months and months. And uh, I want to I go back to the, uh, the think tanks, the, the control groups. We had two mm-hmm. that we chaired here, university students are in them. And then we chose a third group as a control group to compare the responses. Tell us just, what, how'd you get all this? Sure. I mean, I, th- I think all of us have been wrestling with that question of how do we reimagine evangelism? In other words, if we're going to do it today in 2016, mm-hmm. how is it going to look differently than even just a few short years ago? So we did just that. We got a series of focus groups led by three different pastors. We wanted to make sure that there was no undue influence. Mm-hmm. And the fascinating thing, Pastor Dwight, is that we noticed some clear similarities and themes just kind of bubbling up to the surface mm-hmm. between all of them. Mm-hmm. I remember, because I wasn't on any of those groups, mm-hmm. and I remember sitting down with, with our team, and you, you, you all had written it up, and we had the printed pages out, and we're looking, man, there, there is some similarity here. So what do we do with that? Well, one of the real clear things, which I thought was pretty interesting, is that they said, one thing that we cannot have mm. is an hour presentation by the evangelist. Mm-hmm. So they said, instead of having a one-hour presentation, how about a 20-minute TED Talk-style presentation? Okay. And they said, what if we follow immediately afterwards with a small group, discussion, panel group, mm-hmm. who then begin wrestling with the implications of the message that's just been delivered? And people would have an opportunity to engage through social media with that group. They can send in questions. They can interact with it. To be very relational and very interactive. So the, so the concept is 24 time zones simultaneously. That's Everywhere right. you got Wi-Fi, you'll get this. Mm-hmm. So they can actually send in questions in response to that little TED Talk length uh, lecture. Absolutely. It's going to yeah. be very interactive, live. They're going to be able to engage with people out there that are watching. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so, and we're all fascinated by this. And we say, well, let's keep moving. We pulled the, some from these three groups back together, mm-hmm. creme de la creme, and sat down and said, okay, did we hear you right? We, we ran by what you just described. Mm-hmm. Two, two, uh, two items here. I want to talk about the, the, uh, the title first. It kind of came out sure. of this. Yeah, let, let's, let's deal with that first. Yeah, we went through a very thorough process to find a title, and we actually asked 100 strangers out there 
about their opinions and get to public sentiment, and we ended up landing on one that we're excited about. Shall I say it? Yeah, lay it on us. It's called Hope Trending, yeah. a crash course on how to live without fear. Mm. Hope Trending. This, this, this uh, young 27-year-old in Iran, mm-hmm. just, I, I, got, I got nothing. I just, what, when, I, when I'm dead and gone, nobody will even miss me. So a world desperate for hope. Yes. And this fear thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're living on the edge. Western society is just hanging on. You just watch the stock market reflecting that fear factor. So Hope Trending. A crash course on how to live without fear. That's right. I like it. I like what these guys did. I mean, we got a bunch of young Turks on, uh, on our leadership team, and they go out and you, what was it, a survey monkey or something like that, where you just were running the stuff by and we're testing, yeah. the, testing the titles. Mm-hmm. So we've settled on hope trending. Now, there's one other dynamic in this that's going to be very different. Tell me about, tell us about the uh, watch parties. Yes. So the program is going to be very different. We talked about a one-hour program, and it's quite different. But also the experience is going to be very different. Mm -hmm. So instead of people primarily experiencing this in the context of a church or a hall, sitting in rows next to strangers and people they don't know, they're going to be primarily in the context of a small group meeting in someone's home. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be very different. We're calling them watch parties. So the idea is... We want people to invite their neighbors, their coworkers, and their friends, not to some hall or some strange place, mm-hmm. but to their own living room mm-hmm. to watch it that way. So people who way. have found this hope, people who have found this God of love that we've just been talking about, they're going to bring their, the people they're most comfortable with into their home. That's what we're talking about, a living room. Exactly. It has to have Wi-Fi. Yes, and they can stream it to their TVs, and we're going to give some options on how to do that. Okay. But in other words, people can sign up to host watch parties all across the world, mm-hmm. really, so that they can invite their friends, their neighbors, and their coworkers. Okay, so when, when, when are we going to do this? It's going to be this fall, yeah. October 14th through the yeah. 22nd. Where? Here at the Howard Performing Arts Center. Unbelievable. I wanted to just say a word about the music department because they were scheduled right through that and to their eternal credit, they, when they found out about this idea, they said, we'll clear the decks. We'll get out of your way. And so when they aced back from Friday night to October 14 through mm-hmm. Saturday night, October 22, uh, live to all 24 time zones. Yep. Now listen, Rodley, uh, the North American Division had already invited you, our friend uh, Jose Cortez, Jr. Say, hey, Rodney, come down. All the ministerial, the, the, the leaders of the pastors in North America, all the evangelists are going to be together in Orlando. Nice place to be in February, by the way. Wasn't bad. Somebody had to do the Lord's work down That's there. That's right. Glad it was you. <laughs> <laughs> so you go down there. And as soon as we found out you were going down, we said, this is our first shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we put a little video together. You were there in HPAC and Richard uh, Park, our, our, our media director. We had uh, Jonathan LaPointe. You're going to see some animation. Jonathan did the entire animation, Gregory mm-hmm. Sim- Simpson, our sound guy. So we're in an empty uh, HPAC to shoot this. Yep. And I want to tell you this before we roll the video. Uh, so I was talking yesterday with Gordon Pfeiffer, who's the VP for media for the North American Division. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, he said, Dwight, if you're going to roll this out today, just tell anybody who's listening that the North American Division is behind this. Amen. We like what you're thinking. We want to color outside the box, mm-hmm. and we're going to help you. And we're going to put, a, yeah, we're going to put the brightest minds over there together, and we're going to mm-hmm. hook up. And, uh, but that really just, that was mm-hmm. an updraft from Amen. God. Mm-hmm. So this little clip is... What Rodley played, we've edited it down for, for this moment, but let's, let, let's roll that right now. Ever since its birth, the Seventh-day Adventist Church has embraced its apocalyptic mission to spread the everlasting gospel of Christ to the world. 
We've held sprawling evangelistic camp meetings and operated massive literature evangelism ministries. In the 20th century, we quickly adopted the new technologies of radio and then television, culminating in the worldwide satellite events known as the Net Series. Today, in a world captivated by fear, the changing face of society and the relentless march of the information age present a new set of challenges to the way we approach global evangelism. What sort of challenges? First, in the past, unless you had a specially calibrated satellite dish, the only way that people could join the event was to visit their local Adventist church. But for many, the prospect of visiting a strange new church, or any church at all, can be intimidating. Second, and perhaps more importantly, many people today do not see a need in their life to even attend church, period. Hi, I'm Dwight Nelson, coming to you from the beautiful Howard Performing Arts Center here on the campus of Andrews University. The truth is we need new strategies to connect with this new generation. Not to replace public evangelism as we've come to know it, but to complement it which is why I'd like to invite you to partner with the Pioneer Memorial Church in a first-of-its-kind live worldwide event to all 24 time zones simultaneously. We're calling it Hope Trending, a crash course on how to live without fear. Here's what's new. Instead of only meeting in large halls and churches, Hope Trending will also be happening in small groups as friends. We're calling them watch parties. You can turn your living room into a small, intimate space. There in the home, the participant can engage with a global event while at the same time build strong bonds and enjoy a sense of community. And since the host of each small group will be a member of a local church, there's a built-in bridge to that church. And as we all know, it's a short walk from the home to the local church. Look, the world is changing at an unprecedented pace. The Adventist message of hope has never been more relevant or more desperately needed. Behold, I will do a new thing, God once promised. Hope Trending, a crash course on how to live without fear, can be a collective global moment in which we join forces in our shared mission to proclaim Christ to this generation. I really do hope you'll join us in this mission. God bless you. Yeah, really. Praise God. Praise God. Florida Conference and Media said we want 500 of these little brochures because we're going to get our pastors into this. There are going to be conferences all across this nation and Canada that will be joining. Uh, we hope eventually maybe go, go global. I don't know. Inside your... Would you pull these two items out because we're ready to put a wrap on this. Two items. Pull this out. It's in your worship bulletin. Keep this. This Connect card, there are three responses that I hope you'll make. And I want to turn the card over and look at those responses. The back of the Connect card, my next step today. There's no need in me reading through this. You've already heard it, but just prayerfully read it later. Hang on to this. Don't lose this one. But what can I do, Dwight? Come on. Is there anything even now? 33 weeks. You see the cover of the bulletin, by the way? We're going to count down every how many weeks left. 33 from this week. It'll be 32 next week and so on. Is there anything I can do? Here they are, three responses. Number one, on the back of the page, back of the card, I will pray daily for the success of this new mission. Hey, guys, there's no, way, there's no way this will work unless it is saturated with the prayer of God's friends all over, all over the planet. Pray. Please just put a check mark there. I will pray. Keep this where you have your prayers. It will remind you every day. I will pray. I will pray for, I will pray for this mission. Hope trending. Number two, I will create a prayer list of individuals to invite to this unique experience. You can invite them to the H-Pack. You can invite them into the home. You can invite them into a dorm room. We're going to have watch parties in the dorms as well. Why not? People that you're comfortable with, people that you can relate to, they're going to feel, they're going to feel safe with you rather than a room full of strangers. 
I will create a prayer list of individuals. Start, God, who should I be praying over? I've got 33 weeks. Who should I be, for whom should I be praying? Put a check mark there. Number three, I hope you do this too. I'd like to join a, the large volunteer team essential for the success of this kingdom adventure. Okay. I don't know what it is yet. You're saying, I don't know what you'll have, but I would like to be a part of this something unique that's never happened before. Let me be a part of it. I'll do anything. I'll stand at the door or, I'll, or whatever. Put me down. Make sure we have your email address, please. We need your email address, and we'll be in touch with you. You say, but listen, as school gets out, and in May I'm off to working for the summer, come on back when you're back. Put your name down now. You'll be a part of the team. We're going to really be hitting, uh, hitting high speed by the time you get back at the, after this summer. So it's going to... Uh, all hands on deck. And, then, I, and then, then box number four, I thank God for His saving love and would like to be baptized. Please contact me. I tell you, tell you what, Erin, just a moment ago, that was such a beautiful testimony in the baptistry. She was sitting here in church, and the Connect Card moment came, and she said, I, I, I want to be baptized. And that's how we found out about her. That's the only way we usually find out. If you have not been baptized, come on. God's love, the maker of all things, loves and wants me. That's true. Why not follow Him now with all your heart and soul? Put a check mark there with the email address. We'll be in touch with you. You set the, you, the calendar's yours. We'll take your time. But why not make the decision today? Our ushers are going to receive this card right now. But first, I want to pray. I want to pray with you that God will just set us up for kingdom success, for His glory alone. Oh, God, people turn to books. They crave the thought, the maker of all things loves and wants me. They don't know there's a maker. It's just something inside of them that wells up and... Oh, Father, we have to tell them the truth. We've got to get to them soon. We can't wait. And so we humbly pray that like this young man in Iran, whatever country on earth they're in now, just hold them, keep them, preserve them. And when the word goes out that hope trending is coming, you, it's for you, you raise up a generation within this generation of people who know now for sure the Maker of all things, loves me and wants me. And I will give my life to Him and I will serve Him until He comes. May that be true of our hearts. Take these, these volunteer decisions, these prayer lists, take it all, seal it, and set us loose for this mission Christ has called us to. We pray in Jesus' name.